Then the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven has been gi- on, and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. Lord, we thank you that we have been able to reflect on these verses, the great commission that you gave us over the last few weeks. And as we come to the last part today, we ask that you would inspire us, not then just to leave it, but to make it part of our lives, that we may be obedient to you in making disciples, in baptizing, in teaching and training, and recognizing who you are. Spirit of God, you've promised to help us as we read your words, so help us again today. Speak to each one of us as we read and as we reflect together. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. There are four alls in this passage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. We've looked at three of those, and the last one comes today in this very last verse that Jesus gave his disciples. The thing that Matthew and Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples. And surely I will be with you always, to the very end of the age. The last thing that Jesus wanted to get his disciples to remember was that he is going to be with them always. Always means to the very end and beyond. He will always be there. He says at the beginning, and surely I will be with you. Surely, really, in the old languages, and lo, I will be with you. Really what Jesus meant was, guys, out of everything I've told you, remember this. Listen up, this is the most important thing. It was like when I was, one of my first memories as a little, as a little boy, was the moon landings. I was really young. Because I'm not old. But I remember we went round and we saw it on a black and white TV set. And and my mum was there and she said, you need to watch this, you need to remember this. This is history in the making right now. And and like, I I just wanted to play it. But she sat me there and said, no, watch it, watch it. Because this this is just like something else. There's going to be a human being landing on the moon and walking. Well, kind of jumping and skipping on the moon, really. Not really much of a walk. But they're going to be there, and this is history. You need to remember this. And it's a little bit like that that Jesus is saying here, right at the end. He says, guys, remember this. This this is out of everything else I've taught you for three years. If you only remember one thing, remember this. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so they listen up. And then it 
He doesn't get it in the NIV, but he actually says, I am with you. Do you remember what I am means? Where does it first come up in the Bible? Where God says, I am. Do you remember? Moses and the burning bush. Do you remember Moses there in Exodus? He's there, this bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And he's going, this is kind of strange. And he goes over to the bush... And this voice comes out of it and says, take your sandals off, this is holy ground. And he has a conversation with a burning bush. And God is there speaking to him out of this bush. And he says, Moses, I want you to go and bring the people of Israel, take them out of Egypt, out of captivity. And he says to the bush, to God, he says, who am I going to say sent me? I can't say, well, I was having this conversation with a burning bush and it told me to go and rescue you. They would have just carted him off somewhere else and ignored him. But he says, who are you? And he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh, the creator, the God most high. And Jesus here at the end says, and I am with you always. Not just Jesus, but God himself is saying, I'm going to be with you always. The creator is going to be with you to the very end of the age. You know, right throughout scripture, through all the pages from beginning to end, God tells us that he is with us. Starts in Abraham, Genesis 15 verse 1. I am your shield, he says to Abraham. In other words, I'm going to be the one that's protecting you all the way through. If you're in a battle, you never leave your shield behind. And so he's saying to Abraham, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your shield. Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. Joshua, as he takes the mantle over from Moses and goes to conquer the promised land, God says, be strong, be confident. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. He reminds David in 2 Samuel 7, In the Davidic covenant, I'm going to be with you always. And it comes again in the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31. Where am I going to be? I'm going to be in your minds and on your heart. You can't go outside and decide to leave your mind and your heart behind, can you? Don't think I need my mind today. I'm going to go watch football. Don't need that. So I'm just going to leave my mind. I'm going to take it out and leave it there. No, it goes with you everywhere you go. Your heart goes with you everywhere you go. And God said, I'm going to be in your mind, I'm going to be in your heart. So in other words, I'm going to be with you wherever you go, under the new covenant in Jeremiah. In Matthew, right at the start of his gospel, do you remember the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be with child, and she goes, that's a little bit inconvenient, because I'm not married, and etc., etc., and you will call him what? You know what he says? Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. us. You're going to call that baby Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Because God is going to be with us and stay with us. In Matthew 18, he reiterates it. He says, where two or three are gathered, in my name, what's going to happen? I'm going to be there in the midst of it, in your presence. And in John 14, we hear Jesus as he's explaining to his disciples before he goes through the uh, Last Supper and then Gethsemane and the cross, that I'm going to not leave you, 
Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. We see it again in Hebrews 11, that amazing testimony of all those people. By faith, by faith, by faith. In Hebrews 11, God's presence is there in their lives, working in them and through them. And here, right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he reminds us yet again, I will be with you always. Now why? Why does he say that? Of all the things he could say, why is it so central that we need to grasp that truth? That his presence is always with us. Why? Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to have a look there together. Because it gives us some handles on why, why it's so important that we recognize the presence of God with us. Isaiah 43 says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your stead, in your stead, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Let's look at that together. What is he really saying? What is God saying to us? Why is it so vital that we grasp the presence of God? Dr. Stanley James, or Stanley Jones rather, said this. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land, faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. This is my native air. John Hopkins University doctor says, We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers. But it is a fact. But I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructive in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. And that is what God is saying to the people of Israel, saying to us in Isaiah 43. Fear is the opposite of faith. Now how many of us sometimes get afraid? You're in church, so be honest. I'll put two hands up. But what happens when we get afraid is that faith departs. We get locked in to that fear that surrounds us. We start imagining things, don't we? We start dreaming up things. We start 
Our minds just start to go crazy about all the different things that might happen to us. The worst thing is when you, when you go to the doctors and then they say, oh, I want you to have a blood test or a scan. This has got to be the worst. And then they go, you get a letter or a phone call saying, we'd like you to come back in. It's nothing to worry about, but can you make it this afternoon? You know, that's when panic sets in. That's when you would love to have all the faith that you can muster going, I'm resting in God's hands, it's going to be okay. But what happens is you go, my goodness, what have they found? What have they found? Have I got an alien growing in my stomach? What's going on? Have I got the dreaded sea? You know, like, what's happening? They must have found something. It's got to be serious, you know? They wouldn't have called me in if it wasn't that serious right now. And our minds start going overboard and over time in what things might be. And faith and trust disappear. We just get caught up and encapsulated and panic-stricken in the things around us. And, And our peace vanishes. But look what God says here to the people of Israel. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Why shouldn't we fear? Well, first, we shouldn't fear because we have been created by God. We're created by Him. What's the most expensive thing that you own at home? What would it be? The house? Okay, not the house, but something in the house. What would it be? The most expensive thing? The wife. The wife. He's still living in Valentine's Day. Don't worry about it. You realise this is going to get podcast and she's going to listen in later. Timothy Shanahan. <laughs> right. What, what, what's the most... Thing, I said. Not person. Television. Maybe the television. Boiler. The boiler. Yeah, that's expensive if the boiler goes. Just think about something that's really expensive at home, okay? What do you do with it? Well, you look after it, don't you? It's precious to you. You don't mistreat it. Why not? Well, because it's expensive to repair, for starters. It's like when you get a higher car. You know, you don't really worry too much if you've got all the insurance with it. Because it's not your vehicle. But when it's your own car, you don't drive in quite the same way often that you do with a higher car. You're a bit more careful. Why? Because if something goes wrong, if you have an accident, you're going to be paying for it. Not some insurance company that you've, you know... So you're a little bit more careful of things. If you've got something that's really expensive, really precious, you look after it. You handle it differently. You're careful with it. And God says, I created you. He, Psalm 139, He knit us together. He made us. And so how do you think God is going to handle us when He created us that well, that beautifully? What do you think? It's like if you buy your wife, Tim, you buy your wife flowers, what's she going to do? 
Is she going to stick it in the cupboard under the stairs? They're very nice, thanks very much. I'll put them in there. No, she puts them out on the mantelpiece, somewhere on the table, so everybody can enjoy them. Why? Because they're special. They're precious. God created us. Not only that, it said he redeemed us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. What he means by that is he brought us back. A few years ago, we used to have a table sale here, once a month on a, on a Saturday. If you've been here a few years, you'll remember them. And we used to have this running joke that if we sat around long enough, we'd end up on the table sale. Because like they, they used to find things lying around the church, and they would just put a price on it, and it would go on the table sale to raise money for charity and stuff. Apparently, this is true, what happened was that some guy lost his jacket here, nice leather jacket. He came on the Saturday morning, and there it was with a 10p sticker on it. <laughs> he had to buy his... He was going, oh, I was wondering where that jacket had got to. That's what redeemed means. He had to then physically spend the 10p or whatever, 20p, whatever it was. He thought it was a bargain. It was, a, it was an expensive jacket. Buy it back for himself. And the Bible says that we are bought back by Christ. You were bought with a price. And the price was Christ's own life. That's how much he thinks of us. That's how much God thinks of us. That he's willing to see us there and say, you know what? I will give my own son in order that I can have you back in relationship with me. That's the price tag that's on you and on me. It's not 10p or 20p. It's the life of Jesus Christ. That's the price tag that we carry with us. And he says, I love you so much. I've redeemed you and I've called you by name. You are mine. We have that intimate relationship. It's like when you buy a pet. What's the first thing you do? You look at the, you look at the dog and you go, I'm going to call you whatever. Whiskey or, it's always alcohol, I don't know why. Shandy or brandy or, you know, pina colada or whatever you're going to call this animal. But you look at it and you go, this is going to be your name. Why? Because the name is a kind of an ownership and a relationship as well. And Christ looks at us, God looks at us, and he knows us by name. I have called you by name. There is an intimacy in that relationship. Why do we not fear? Because God knows us so well. He loves us so much that he's brought us back. That he names us. That he knows all about us. I came across... A letter that was written to an IT company. It was said this. Dear tech support, last year I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0 and noticed a distinct slowdown in overall system performance, particularly in the flower and jewellery applications, which operated flawlessly under boyfriend 5.0. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as Romance 9.5 and Personal Attention 6.5, and then installed undesirable programs such as Football 5.0, Rugby 3.0 and Golf Clubs 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs and House Cleaning 2.6 simply crashes the system. Please note that I have tried running 
nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? Sign desperate. Well, the lady that wrote that thought that was going to be the end of the story. But she got this letter back from the tech support team. Dear Desperate, First, keep in mind that Boyfriend 5.0 is an entertainment package, while Husband 1.0 is an operating system. (laughs) Please enter the command, I thought you loved me.html. Download Tears 6.2 and be sure to install the Guilt 3.0 update. If those applications work as designed, Husband 1.0 should then automatically run the applications Jewelry 2.0 and Flowers 3.5. However, please remember that overdue use of the above application can cause Husband 1.0 to default to Grumpy Silence 2.5, Happy Hour 7.0 or Beer 6.1. Please note that Beer 6.1 is a very bad program that will download the Snoring Loudly beta. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not, under any circumstances, install Mother-in-Law (laughs) 1.0. It runs a virus in the background that will eventually seize control of all your system resources. In addition, please do not attempt to reinstall the Boyfriend 5.0 program. This is an unsupported application and will crash Husband 1.0. In summary, Husband 1.0 is a great program. Tim, remember this. <laughs> but it does have limited memory and cannot learn new applications quickly. You might consider buying additional software to improve memory and performance. We recommend Cooking 3.0 and Hot Lingerie 7.7. <laughs> Yours faithfully, Tech Support. I don't know why I had to slip that in, but anyway. What is God saying to us? I have no idea after reading that, to be honest. (laughs) God is saying that, you know what? He loves us. He knows all about us. He knows when we crash. He knows when we're doing really well. He knows when we're really spiritual and when we're not really very spiritual at all. But through it all, he said, I'm going to be there with you. I love you. I created you. I redeemed you because I love you so much. I brought you back. And I know your name. I know who you are. I know everything about you. But he says more. Why not fear? Well, he says, I'm going to be with you forever. What makes a great friend? Well, I think a great friend, when we look at them, are those that go through the ups and the downs of life with us. They're not just there during the the good times. So many many times you hear of people who said, you know, when, when, when things really started going bad in my life, a lot of my friends just deserted me. They ran away. They left me. True friends stay the course. And God says that here, when you pass through the waters, when you're going through the hard times in life, I'm going to be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they're not going to sweep over you. Why not? Because I'm going to be there right next to you. 
When you walk through the fire and it feels like everything around you is on fire and, it's, and you're going to burn up and you're scared and you're right, I'm going to be there. The flames are not going to set you ablaze. You're not going to be burned. For I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I'm going to be with you. Throughout the Bible, He reminds us He's never going to leave us, never forsake us. Deuteronomy 31.6, 31.8, Joshua 1.5, 1 Kings 8.57, 1 Chronicles 28.20. In the Psalms, in Psm 37.28 Isaiah 41.17, 42.16, Hebrews 13.5, Matthew 28.20. All these places are more besides. God says, I am never going to leave you. I am never going to forsake you. So when you go through those hard times in life, when the fears start coming upon you, don't worry, why not? Because I'm going to be there right next to you. I'm never going to leave you alone. I'm never going to walk away. Other friends might, when the going starts to get tough, they might say, actually, you know what? You're too much of a liability right now. Wait, wait till you're the other side. Wait till you're feeling better, then come back. Wait till you're back in party mode. Then, then our friendship can be resumed. Jesus is never like that. He said, I'm going to be with you when you go through the rivers, when you go through the fire, when you go, when it feels like it's going to cover you completely and you're going to sink. I'm right there, right next to you, right in the struggles of life. Someone once said that the Lord, sometimes the Lord comes the storm, but sometimes he lets the storm rage. And then he calms the child. But whether he calms the storm or calms the child, he's right there with us, doing both in each situation. And that's so important for us to know. Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff are there. You are with me in those times. And it's in those moments when we go through the, the pressure cookers of life, when we go through those times when we're really fearing and, and where fear is starting to encroach, that we need to know that He is there with us. We may feel that His presence has gone from us, but we know that He has promised that He is with us. He is going to stay with us. Why do you think Jesus had to come and die in the way that He did? God could have just gone, I forgive you all. End of story. He came because he needed to show us the depth, the breadth of his love. He needed to show us that, you know what? I will be, I will come and I will go through what you guys have to go through. I will go through Gethsemane. I will go through all my friends abandoning me. I will go through the agonies of a cross and humiliation and everything else. I will go through it so that when you talk to me, you're not talking to a God that doesn't understand. You will recognize that I have been there. I still have the scars in my hands and my feet and my side to prove to you that I'm going to stay with you through everything. There is nothing that we can go through, not the darkest, darkest time in our life where it is any darker than what Christ has already gone through. That's one of the reasons why he came. So that we may then in those desperate moments know that he is not going to forsake us. Because he was willing to go through it first. And he's willing to journey with you and with me 
through those dark days. Why did he say to his disciples, I'm going to be with you, don't worry, I'm there? Because he knew what they were going to face. And he knew that in those dark times, they may have doubted. And he wanted to remind them. And look at the last bit in this passage from Isaiah 43. Look at the passion that he has for us. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 3. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for you in your stead. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? If I had a choice between you and Egypt and Cush and Seba, wherever they are, I'd, I'd take you. If I had to trade, if I was doing some kind of prisoner exchange, I would give these nations just to get you back. That's how passionate I am about you. What does he say? Why, verse 4, since you are precious and honoured in my sight. You're precious. You're worth a lot. You're something I'm going to look after and nurture and care for because you're precious. I'm going to hold you with that kind of tent, those, those hands that are loving and, and nourishing and, and just, you're so precious to me. I'm going to be careful with you. I'm going to look after you. And not only that, I honour you. You're honoured in my sight. Do you see that? We are honoured in God's sight. In other words, what happens if you honour someone? Well, you stick them up in front of everybody else, don't you? It's not often I've been honoured. Trust me. But when I graduated from uh, seminary in Canada, massive auditorium, seats about 5,000, I think something like that, 3,000 people, huge place. And they have all these speeches, graduation, I couldn't stand graduations, they're long-winded affairs. And they have all these speeches there. And I was dozing off during the speeches because they were just going on and on and on. It was hot and there was just people there. And Inika was there, Michael was there. Michael was fast asleep, uh, lying on Inika's lap. He was only a young boy. I was up there and then suddenly I got this elbow in the ribs and this guy goes, stand up. I said, why? He said, they called your name. I didn't hear that. No, you were sleeping. Get up. So I stand up. On the stage, we're all up there on the stage behind, there's hundreds of us, and I have to stand up. And I, and I, look, I said, what am I standing for? He goes, I don't know, I wasn't listening. I just heard your name. And I'm like, I'm standing there, thinking, what is going on? In front of everybody, all those people, they gave me an award for something or the other. Doesn't matter what. But they wanted to honour me out of all the graduating class of hundreds of students. And so I had to stand there and everybody clap and everybody do this, that and the other. And go down and collect an award with a little speech by the, the uh, principal of the, of the college. That's what it means to be honoured, doesn't it? That you're recognised. And the Bible says that God honours you. In other words, God takes you and he puts you up here and he says, everybody else, look at my child. Look at them. This is someone I love. This is someone I want you to... This is someone that is amazing. Honour them. They're amazing. They're beautiful. They're awesome. 
I can see right throughout their life what they're going to accomplish for me. They're absolutely fantastic. And they stand you up there in front of everybody else. And the Bible says that God feels that way towards each one of us. He wants a whole line of us coming up the front, one by one, saying, I honor you, I honor you, I honor you. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're unique. Look, look, look what I can accomplish through you. Look at all the gifts and abilities that you have. You're unbelievable. That's what God says. I honor you. I not only um, are you precious, but you're honored in my sight. Why? Because he loves us. God treats us with that kind of passion that he has for us. And he says, you know what? Because of that, because of all these things, verse 5, do not be afraid. For I am the God, the creator of the whole universe is with us. So what do we do when fears come? We'll go back to Matthew 28 for a moment. First thing we do is we remember, and lo, I am with you always. Remember. Remember the promises of God. Remember that Christ has promised never to leave us. Remember today, remember what he has taught you. Remember the experiences in your past where God has seen you through. They may have been difficult, they may have felt like those waves were going to crash over you, but he's seen you safely through to this point. Remember. And then refocus. Recall scripture. Start singing, start praying. Refocus back onto God. Because what fear does is that it takes our focus away from God and it draws it down to the world around us and it just hems us in and closes us in. When we start to be afraid for ourselves or for others, we start to move away from the promises of God and we start to just look in our own narrow little world and say, you know what? It's all up to me. I'm going to have to see this through on my own. And that is completely against what the scripture said. That God is with us. Remind yourselves of those scriptures. Lord, you have promised never to leave me or forsake me. So even if I feel right now in my life all alone, I know that you are with me. I know that you will never leave me. I know that you're going to be there working in me and through me regardless of whether I feel it or whether I don't. Because you are true to your promises. And you recall the scriptures. Start singing hymns and songs. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. The cross before me. You know, the way before me. The cross It's because we can move forwards. No turning back, no turning back. And we start singing and reaffirming in our lives the message of Jesus Christ that he's never going to leave us. And we pray and we say, Lord, be honest. Look at the Psalms. Psalms are wonderfully honest, aren't they? Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to face these things that's before me. Lord, I can't see a way forwards. 
But I know that with you, you have already plotted a pathway through it. And I know that if I go there with you, those waves, that fire can't burn me. Those waves may go over me, but they cannot sink me. That you will show me the pathway through this. Lord, I'd love for you to calm the storm right now. But maybe if you're going to take me through it because there's things I need to learn and grow, then calm my heart and give me confidence as I walk with you. Refocus on him and then rest in him. Rest on those promises of God. Every time those fears start coming, just say, no, I am not going to be afraid. I have commanded you, he said to Joshua, do not be afraid. For I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. And we say, I'm not going to be afraid. I refuse to have that kind of fear rule my life. Lord, come in again. Bring your peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard my heart, guard my mind with you, so that I may accomplish and walk the way you want me to walk and do what you want me to do. Why did Christ say this at the end of Matthew? Because he knew that with them recognizing his presence within them, he knew what they would go and do. These fishermen and tax collectors and just guys like you and me, 11 of them, and then later another one was added. But they went and they took the message of the gospel and transformed our world. So that there are thousands upon thousands of people who are still today receiving that peace in their lives. Receiving that presence of God, that presence of Christ within them. And saying no to the fears that are around them. And feeling and experiencing that release that comes when you know that Christ is with you. So what about you today? Where are you? Did you come today with a lot of fears in your life? Did you come worried about so many different things? Lord, I'm just going to come and worship you, but as soon as I walk out that door, it's all going to come crashing back in. Christ says, don't do that. I have promised. I will be with you always. To the very end of the age. You don't need to fear. Because he's there in you. Living in you. Residing in the core of who you are. And he's there saying you know what. In your own strength. Yeah you should be afraid. But with me. With Christ. Working through this. With Christ leading you in the pathway. Is already prepared. There is nothing you need fear. He is going to accomplish his purposes. And he is going to do everything for the best of who you are. Because he loves you so much. He redeemed you. He brought you back with his own life. He cherishes you. He honors you. And he's promised never to leave you or forsake you. There's a passage that Marianne Williamson wrote that Nelson Mandela made famous. He said this, Our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, 
Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant and gorgeous and talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? For you are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Christ can liberate you today. I'm going to ask Ronnie just to play. And we'll have a moment just to quiet. And ask God as he plays. If you have any fears within you, fears for yourself, fears for your family, fears for friends, fears for the future or the past, fears about you being everything Christ wants you to be, just give it to him today. Say, Lord, you have promised. You are with me. You love me. You care for me. You cherish me. You honor me. You're passionate about me. You want the very best for me. Lord, let me give you my fear. Let it not be like a chain around me or a wall that's just closing me in. Lord, let me give it to you so that I may be liberated to be everything you created me to be. Give it to him right now. Ask him to take it away and keep it off you. Fear, we say, we don't want any more to do with you. You have commanded us to be strong and courageous because you are with us. Fill us with that strength and that courage that comes from your spirit.